Welcome to the Talking Story Podcast. We'll be your hosts for season one. I'm Lorenzo Roel Flores Please. I'm Ezra Kikaway Cook. And I'm Oceana Sawyer. In this space, as people of the global majority, we reflect on our experiences living here in Jefferson County, a semi-rural region of the Olympic Peninsula, which is primarily white folks. This is us talking to us about us for us. episode we've been really looking forward to, Shifting the PGM Narrative Through the Arts. This is an episode that talks about how the arts can become a way into shifting how we think and live here in this place. Our guest in this episode is CJ or Camelia Jade, and so we want to introduce you to her first. Since 2006, Camellia has worked in audio production for music, live sound, radio, podcasts, analog and digital preservation, independent film, on-location recordings, as well as youth audio workshops, gallery installations, and much more. As a musician composing on guitar, charango, rhythm, and voice, Camellia waves tradition and innovation into songs that are lush and percussive, joyous or bittersweet. Camellia Jade creates instrumental explorations that become a living soundtrack and sings with a voice that is both soothing and strong. So I'm a queer person of color. I'm mixed with Latinx heritage, a white father and a brown mother. As far as my identity goes, that is definitely played into my journey for myself and I was born in the U.S. My mom's from Chile, my dad's from Utah. My family, they had to leave Chile during the military coup in the Mm. 70s, so she ended up in Arizona and met my dad in college in southern Utah, so. But yeah, I'm queer. My pronouns are she, her mostly, or I really like they, them as well. If people use that, I always feel really good because it feels like all parts of me are seen. You know, I'm really interested in, since you brought up your mother from Chile, yeah, yeah. what comes to my mind immediately is food. Mm. There must have been some food ways, some way of smelling, some sensorial oh way God. of being in the world mm-hmm. that she gave to you. And I'm just wondering how that legacy, <sighs> that sensorial legacy plays out in how you actually are being here in Port Townsend. I can give you examples of things that I cling to to like comfort, you know, food comforts and things. So one is cumin seed. The smell of cumin, crushed cumin seed, my grandfather from Chile would always crush them in his palm. They're sticky, like they coke you. He has rough hands and 
And when I would get kisses from him, he would just smell like cumin. And so for me, that smell, it's kind of like a body odor smell already. And so I would just be like completely immersed in the smell. Like when he would just be like, you know, embrace me, give me a big kiss. I would just get this, you know. And so that's an essential spice for me to like have that, that tense relationship with is that. And he, his food is amazing. And my mother, I always joke like, I can tell at a party if someone's from Chile because of the way they slice onions. <laughs> because it, when you're making ensalada chilena, you have to slice the onions super, super, super paper thin, as thin as you can. And so do you come to a place like this and you think, where are the smells? Where's the food? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I don't really go out to eat around here because I just can't find the level of spices that I'm looking for, you know, or like even acidity that I'm looking for. This high level of acidity in, in chili cooking and like, they don't like have a lot of spicy foods, not like hot spicy, but mm. definitely saturated in spice for sure, like in flavor. I don't know. I I have my, all my aunties live around here. And so we get together and we cook and we have barbecues and we, you know, hang out so my whole family eventually all of them moved up here oh except for then my mom and dad moved to chile which there's where they live now so they were all pissed because they're like we're finally all up here and now you're moving to chile like what the hell <laughs> what's wrong with you they were the hub they're the social hub my parents that's the other part of that is like everyone's always welcome everyone i bring over and is in my life that i introduce my parents is immediately embraced and adopted as you know family and I grew up with that sense of welcoming, and that's how I like to be. It doesn't always work with everyone in my life. They don't always have the same values, and so, you know, that's a thing. It's like, I have to understand that everybody doesn't always operate that way. I love that. I need this at the Sunday potluck dinners, that like yeah. sense of like everybody comes. Yeah, to I really want to be there. The summer, man, it's so busy. Oh yeah, it's, it's too much. So much work. It's like, that's it. In two months in the summer, everybody wants to do everything and then they go to sleep for the rest of the yeah. season, you know? Like, <laughs> where's the community in the fall and in the winter around here? It feels very sparse. It feels partly the weather, but it's also partly like who's putting in the energy to create the spaces mm -hmm. you know, how are we creating shared spaces we have to create them indoors after summer so it's a little more challenging but like yeah what are we doing to create those shared spaces they're really important just parties like just how can we just get together and eat food and talk and not make that it a part. work thing and not make it like you know i love shows and i love music but i also have this conversation with a lot of latinx creators in seattle we just got together to know each other and some people came in, they're like, okay, what's our mission? What's our goal? What are we doing? And then a lot of other people were like, whoa, let's just be together. Can we just like get together and eat food and talk? And then let those projects like naturally arise from those spaces. So I'm like, that's what I want. The importance of getting together and not having a task is so important, right? Oh, please. No, no mission, vision, strategic goals. Come on. Just be just yes. be like talk just be together like just spend time together you know that is so valuable i think a lot of people what i've seen and what people i've spoken to talk about how much the surrounding culture around us like puts such a priority on productivity and like oh if we're getting together we got to do something if we're getting together, we have to have a goal we have to have a thing we have to and like 
to me, that's a result of capitalism bleeding over into our private lives, Yeah, you know? And we need to not put that on ourselves all the time. It's like, can I just be with you? Can I just cook with you? Can that be enough? Mm. Yes, that. How do you imagine that, you know, black and brown people, people with the global majority here would actually start to coalesce into community and not be in response to white supremacy, like mm. nothing to fight about or cause? How would we just sort of like come together right here, right here where, we live. where we live? Yes. You know, that is a very, very good question because recently I had an experience at Pride, the whole like long month of, <laughs> you know, my gay holiday, I call yes. it. Uh, and I <laughs> went to the Indigiqueer Festival on the pier and I had an experience there that I hadn't had before. And this relates to your question about how do we create spaces where we feel like all parts of us are welcome. Mm -hmm. Because when I walked into that space, so my, when you talk about being from Chile, and I think this is the trick when you're using the word Latinx or Latine, there's all this back and forth always like, how do we, what word do we even use? How do we even identify ourselves? Because Latinidad there's so much of the colonization history that bleeds over and has erased our indigeneity. And so my mom's side, when you look at who we are, even though, so we're not calling ourselves Uyiche Mapuche because we're not in those communities that are actually living in traditional ways. So we're not trying to, we can't actively claim that identity and represent those communities, but that's who we are in our mm. heritage. You know, we're the indigenous people of the South, of the South of Chile with some mixed European in there, but not even any Spanish when you look at my family. Like there's like, we're not even Spanish. So like calling myself Latina, Latino or Latinx, it's like, okay, we speak Spanish, you know? But like, when you look at the fabric of who we are, it's such a hard thing to reconcile. It's been washed over in so many ways. Mm. I know I'm going on a different tangent. No, this is good. And so I think that's the conversation in these communities as well is like, how to recognize Afro-Latinos more and indigenous, you know, you can't even say indigenous Latinos, like that sounds so weird, you know, it's like indigeneity and blackness in Latin culture is like really important. That conversation has been mm -hmm. so active in like, how do we look at ourselves? Who do we see when we look at ourselves? You know, you mm -hmm. go to Argentina and you see white Europeans on a billboard, mm -hmm. And there's these films about other Argen indigenous Argentinians. They're like, Argentina's not all white. Like, what is this? You know, Same, similar in Chile, you know, like, how do you start to see yourself again after being colonized? How do you start to see yourself? How do you start to understand the depth of who you are? And so that journey takes on many shapes, but... So you know, you were on the pier. I was on the pier. I was in the Indigenous Queer Festival. Mm -hmm. And when I walked up, it was the first time I had seen traditional indigenous art and people wearing and representing their traditions. And these are mostly like Pacific Northwest cultures of folks that are represented because that's who's around. Such amazing queer culture. Like they had performances and they did some catwalks. So they did some, there was like dance performances and music and it was all indigenous queer people representing themselves in that beautiful way. 
and there was traditional dancers. There was a couple that was two traditional dancers who were dancing together and their tradition and representing that two spirit, you know, yeah. their two spirit love together. And yeah. like, I had never seen a space where both things are simultaneously present. Usually you have a space where it's very queer or you have a space that's very traditional and your queerness is you're not sure if you're welcome. Or if you're in a queer space, it's kind of railing against tradition and it's kind of like anti-colonialism has a way sometimes in spaces of like centering whiteness in mm-hmm. a space where it's like, yeah, we want to not be that. But then what are what are we doing? Like, we're not just here to rail against colonialism because then that's centering it. What are we actually centering? So this is where I'm trying to get to with the question of like, since we've created these ways of connecting in, in the BIPOC communities out here in the peninsula, it's been... That has changed my life to have that community out here. I grew up in Utah, constantly whitewashed over. Only, that's the only part of myself that's getting reflected back to me. And coming to Seattle, it was sort of like the same thing. Being in the peninsula it was sort of the same, you know, it's sort of the same thing. So then having a community where you have people of color consciously gathering together and saying hey we're starting to feel like we're getting invisible out here we're starting to feel washed over that sense of being washed over out here let's create some energy together to reflect ourselves to each other you know that has profoundly changed my sense of internal well-being to have that out here and it's it's special out here because the need is so great Mm -hmm. the need to connect is so great and then how do you see the arts playing into the budding sense of community? Where do you see those things intersecting and actually supporting each other? So my work as um, doing music booking out here and live sound and recording, you know, my goal as someone who helps book musicians as bands is to recognize and support the people who are out here in this community playing music and representing their own culture mm-hmm. and that's different than for example white folks going to another culture and learning a style of music and bringing it back and then creating a latin jazz band but it's like all white people playing quote-unquote latin music or something like that which or happens a, a lot band. that's or reggae or mm. anything so that happens a lot and that to me you know that was also a large part of the seattle music scene a large part of what happens and perpetuated in the folklife festival and then it goes out from there. On the peninsula, it's like very much apparent. And in Seattle, it's like, okay, you have a lot of that. And then you have bands that are actually people from those cultures and communities representing themselves. So Seattle's been kind of a mix. But out here, it was like all the priority was going to, oh, we're booking this kind of music, but it's white people playing music from another culture. And that is important to say, and it's important to acknowledge and recognize. And undo that because when you take the spaces available and you prioritize that rather than saying look here's this band playing salsa son and they're from that culture they're from the different Latin cultures and we're going to book them and we're going to pull them in and we're going to give space to them and keep doing that not just a one-off on Cinco de Mayo or some <laughs> shit. <laughs> no, it's not because that's the other thing. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, we we book we book like you know bands of color, but like they tokenize them and do it on specific holidays, and that's Cinco de Mayo. That's that's not, exactly <laughs> right. right. 
That's the worst. That's not it. That's not it. I mean, sure, you can book them on Cinco de Mayo, but that better not be the only time you're booking them. Like, if they want that gig and it's a good paying gig, like, whatever. That's their choice if they want that Mm -hmm. and they choose it. I'm not judging that at all. But if that's the only time you're booking that band and that's the only time you're booking Latinos, like, playing Latin music, then you have a problem. Mm -hmm. There's a problem. Mm -hmm. There is a difference. There is a huge difference. So with musical spaces, when I started booking music out here and started booking more Latin music, because those are the musicians I know, whether I bring them for Seattle or find them out here, like really taking the time to find people and bring them in. One of the comments I had from someone who was associated with Jasira was like, oh my God, this is becoming the only place out here I can go where we can go to hear our music. And this is a group of women who are from Mexico, Peru, I think women from Colombia, we all went out and went dancing. And that was the statement. Where can we go to hear our music? And to say our music, you know, mm. to embrace it and to say, this reflects me to myself. It's important. It's important that you have your culture in any way. Like, even though there's so much variation within the subcultures of, of music, you know, saying Latin music is, you're not really saying anything. It's so many things. And Latin music does not exist without the African diaspora. It doesn't exist, mm. as we know it, without black musicians. Like, it does not. Do you, Can you a, say more about that? It's a mix of that crossover. Depending on what country and what region you're looking at, it's a mix of African and indigenous and some Spanish and other European mixtures coming together. Is what Latin music is. Today. That's what it is everywhere. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's indigenous music mixed with European, and the balance of that is reflected in what rhythms come out, what dances happen. You know, there is anti-blackness in the Latin culture that is actively needing to be disassembled and changed, and that's why I say that statement. Like, you don't have Latin music that you know and think of today. You don't have it without the African diaspora, like people. Mm-hmm. You don't have it with indigenous people. It's not Spanish music. Mm-hmm. There's a Spanish influence for sure. You know, guitar and whatever came out of that and all the and rhythms and things. But when you say Latin music people and people think Spanish, that is absolutely not an accurate description and accurate recognition of people's contribution to what we think of as this music. One of the things that I'm trying to figure out is as we go about mm-hmm. the business of creating community here among yeah. us, you yeah. know, brick by brick, ingredient by ingredient, you know, a little onion, you know, a little, <laughs> a little cilantro, yeah, a little okra, thank you very much. <laughs> um, I'm curious about how we have learned to create a certain type of music and then a certain type of food and how those ways that we created those things, how do we apply that Mm. to creating the stew of PGM or BIPOC community Mm -hmm. here? Oh, that's a great... Yeah, right. How do we do that? I want to know. Will you tell me? (laughs) I kind of agree with you. I kind of feel like putting those ingredients together and letting them simmer. Mm Mm-hmm you know, long enough and well enough and getting the balance, Mm -hmm. right, of the different spices and elements and allowing them to 
to do their thing in the stew. For instance, I think that what I've seen so far since I've been here is there's a, a kind of a tendency to let people in black bodies sort of lead the way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we get out there, we, we do our thing, and then we turn around, look behind us, and we wonder, is anybody else back there? Mm. And they are, yeah. and that's the thing. They are, but how we come to start acknowledging each other mm-hmm. and creating together, I think that's what it's going to take. I think that's what it's going to take. Actually creating stuff together, like this podcast. Like, yeah. why don't we just like to talk to each other and create some totally. stuff together? And, totally. and I'm sure there's other things. Oh, there's an album, right? There's oh, yeah. music. It's coming. Yeah. I think yeah, we're yeah. creating we're yeah. creating music together. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Sure. So there is a project in the works, and there's no timeline on it. You know, it's like I like to <laughs> just relax that whole thing. The idea for this album is a compilation of PGM artists on the peninsula to contribute a song or two of their choosing and create a compilation that basically represents us for ourselves. There's a little bit of funding for me to be able to work with a couple of artists and develop a couple songs for them so that they can just do this project. So basically the funding that I'm sourcing from that is the Roots of Resilience, supporting the project and supporting me in my life to do the work that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And so we're in the studio right now that I'm so grateful for this new space that I have. Okay, so now I'm thinking yeah. what we need is a band. Oh, yes, we need a band. Like a house band. Yes, we need okay. a house band. We need a house band. So we need a house <laughs> okay. with a kitchen so we can... I mean, this is what we were talking about earlier. What kind of a space can we create where we can naturally form connections and community? Okay, let's just treat it right here. Okay. So we need a house with a kitchen. kitchen where we cook together. Right. And just hang out. Okay. And it's a living room space where people can just come and play music together and try stuff. Mm-hmm. That's, all, that's all you need is you need a space with those elements, right? What else do you need? You need a fireplace. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Because people could be playing music, but there's also people in the middle who are like creating art. Sure. Right? They're yeah. doing like collage or painting yeah. or. Yeah. Yeah, anything, or someone bringing, like, I'm going to bring my kit for watercolor today, or I'm going to bring my kit for, mm-hmm. like, you know, whatever, shared things in that way. These spaces can be outside when it's nice, but the thing about the Northwest and what I think happens later in the year is, like, where is an indoor space where, first of all, we have access to, and it doesn't become a, like, here, everybody pay yeah. to come attend this space, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So we don't got to rent it out or anything. And not so. a huge rental fee, you know? Like, how do we get access to something like that where it doesn't become a cost for one person or a burden for them to host it and constantly be paying the rental fee, mm-hmm. you know, and it be unsustainable? Like, how can it be a living space that just exists? I don't oh. Know. That would be really... That's going to be so cool. <laughs> and this idea of taking over spaces... Mm-hmm. So that we can have some comfort in community. Yeah. I would love to see us do more of that. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. And like just showing up so it would be cool as a spontaneous thing because I could see 
the spectator effect of Port Townsend. Like, oh, these people are all here on Thursday night. Let's go and... You know, you know what I mean? That whole spectacle aspect of living yeah. on the peninsula where it's like, where do you go? And that's what you're talking about. I think yeah, that's what you're that's talking, what about. talking about when you have enough collective energy of black and brown folks in a space where you're like, I don't feel like I'm a spectacle because I'm not the only one person here that is being observed. Yeah. Or, yeah. or I'm one of two people here right. and we're having a conversation. Yeah. And then no. you get the like looks and it, the, yeah. That part. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, critical mass yeah. depends on the location, but you know you need about six or seven people. Yeah, to really yeah start Make to feel it. some comfort. Yeah, so you have your own like field. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Where I feel that most for myself is when I'm playing music. I haven't played music as much out here because that's where I feel that effect, that spectacle effect. And obviously I'm sharing something in, in a public space, mm-hmm. but the type of questions and the type of things that I've started to get after, like I would share playing charango or playing certain rhythm or singing in Spanish after a show, started to feel like, I'm sharing something about myself and it's being exoticized mm-hmm. instead of really just respected and held in a certain way. And so for me, that's kind of where that has come up a lot. Mm-hmm. How do I hold that space for myself? You know, how do I share something real for myself? Do I want to play music out here? What spaces do I want to play music and share that out here? Mm-hmm. Where I feel like I'm not going to be just mined for information of where they can buy a charango or like, what is that? Oh, let me write that down. Oh, let me... I'm like, okay, you know, everyone obviously can go free market, buy whatever you want. But like, do you know what I mean? That's yeah, yeah. Like, that's what I come away with of like, are you here to celebrate what I'm doing? Or are you here to mine me for information so that you can then do something with it? For You know, it's like, it's just a weird feeling. And I, I think my resistance to coming back to playing music is partly about that. Mm-hmm. Maybe I want to play in Seattle more, mm-hmm. where that can still happen, but happens less. People aren't so, I don't know what the word is. Extractive? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been wondering this a lot lately. It's like, how can you tell? What's the difference? Mm-hmm. Whenever I see a white person coming towards me, my default is like, oh, what's here we go. <laughs> you know, it's going to be... Yeah. Something, some some ridiculousness is, is coming yeah. my way. And what I'm noticing about that response is, well, it's protective on the one hand. It also denies a certain kind of humanity. Yeah. And it's almost like in the anticipation of the denial of my humanity, yes. I am going to preempt that with a denial of your humanity. Yeah. And in the process, everybody's humanity gets denied. And I've been lately wondering, like, what's another move there? How do I keep my humanity intact while I'm navigating the inhumanity of structural, perpetual Mm anti-blackness, racism, 
in such a way that recognizes that it's a system and not a person, right? So a white person is just another pawn cog in the wheel of racism like I am. Maybe there's a way to access the humanity of any kind of a person, any situation. I don't know. I don't have an answer for this question, but does it like either one of you guys, does it like strike anything? I mean, do you guys have the same dilemma? I'm just going to say like for me, it depends on who's looking at me as to what they see. You know, I'm a mixed race person. I recognize that in certain spaces, like my experience is not the same as a black woman. You know, it's just not. That's why I brought up the fact of me feeling like a spectator happens sometimes. It happens more with my queerness. I think. Mm. And it happens more with when people do ask the question, are you Native American? Are you this? Are you that? They do do that. But I just do want to recognize it's not exactly the same. It's different for different people, you know, in, in the spectrum of being a BIPOC person, like, you know, mm-hmm. and that's important to really recognize and honor, like what your experience is. And just walking around and walk, just walking around. Yeah. African yeah. In, indigenous body. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we were actually talking about this in another episode mm-hmm. where you brought up so poignantly what it's like to respond to racism in a tall male identified, you know, body yeah. of color yeah. and how that limits your responses. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, got to be like defensive. I feel like when mm-hmm. you're when you're out there, because you can't go out there in an aggressive way. I mean, that's just a right. recipe for disaster, basically. Yeah. I think when Oceana, you're talking about the lack of humanity in those spaces with white people. Yeah. I definitely feel that because it's like, first off, I'm shutting down my humanity. I'm kind of mm-hmm. closing, putting a wall off. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm prepared for the worst always, yeah. which is. Not the best, but I mean, that's how it is. I think the response on my end, I just kind of blur it all off and then (laughs) don't think about it. I don't know. Sounds like a similar description. For me, it's definitely more like I have that as well, because what stupid shit are they, you know, is going to be said. Mm -hmm. And then also I have it extra with white men. Because of the work that I do and the amount of sexism right. that I yeah. encounter, mm-hmm. my walls are up high because that is where I encounter the most of that. I'm in that world when I'm doing my audio work, especially live sound, but anywhere. That whole industry was established by straight, cis, white men, yeah. you know. And the effect of it is this pool of toxicity that I've been trying to actively like mop off of the the field yeah. of work that I do, <laughs> uh, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When does it start to be like too much? It, you know, I think that for the first couple of years establishing my own business, I would have moments of such rage mm-hmm. and emotional ups and downs, and come home crying and be frustrated because. I'm like, why am I putting myself in these positions? I'm walking into a venue, I'm mixing sound, and the motherfucker, like, standing right there, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, looks at the guy next to me to talk about the sound as though he's the engineer. And then says, oh, 
And that person's like, oh, no, no, I'm not doing sound tonight. I'm not doing this. Da, da, da. Oh, 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 no, CJ's, it's all CJ. Oh, well, you taught her well. No. The fucking assumptions. The like, yeah, 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 yeah. Or, you know, rolling up with my sound system, loading it up and lifting these heavy things around. And it's all, you know, I've been doing this for like 17 years. The assumption that, oh, are you going to, are you going to lift all of that? Are you going to lift all that? I'm like, you know, I am a smart person. If I need help, I will ask for help. But like your immediate doubt in me, and then your immediate doubt in me that, oh, is it going to be loud enough? Is this going to be loud enough? Constant, like, is this system like, you know, oh, oh, what is this? You know, like all the questions about my abilities, not based on anything other than who I am and what I look like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Facing that so many times. Being in school and being only one of two female graduating in the class of audio engineers, all the teachers are male, and what they're perpetuating is like, you can never show you make a mistake, you always have to be in control, you know better than the artist, all this bullshit that they passed on to the whole class as a culture. I'm like, you are creating a culture here, you don't even realize. (laughs) And, you know, me being, what, 19 years old, absorbing all of that stuff trying to understand how to feel confident in myself and then you know having a fellow student say something to me like you know you're a much better musician than engineer yeah Mm. like that kind of shit sticks with you like you telling somebody who they are and like you're just so entitled to your view of the world that you can just tell me who i am Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. that is That that part that happens so much so i would just say like yeah it's a choice. Like every time I go into a working situation, I know I'm going to be faced with a potential threat to my self-worth and self-confidence. I'm going to be probably maybe doubted or like once I impress them with my skills or whatever, they're going to be overly impressed because like, Oh wow. You (laughs) know, expect this. Oh, (laughs) you know, like it's fucking magic trick. (laughs) I'm like, no, it's just not a magic trick. This is 17 years running hard ass work that I put myself into. It's not a fucking magic trick, you know. Yeah, really? So, yeah, like, I just kind of earned this. I will say that I am grateful that I have a lot of really positive experiences in the different fields of work that I do in music, whether it's booking or whether it's my live sound or audio work. The different cultural movements that we've had, I have felt such a huge shift in the past several years. The music culture is opening up in Seattle. And it was fucking forced open because of the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. You know, you will be uncomfortable and you will make space and you will actively open spaces to black artists and artists of color in the music scene. And if you're not doing that, you're going to get fucking called out and you're going to be uncomfortable and you should be. That push and that pressure, I think that every single community of color has benefited in the music scene because mm. of that movement and because of the conversations and because of the pressure and putting on for white folks who are gatekeepers in those positions. If you're a booking agent, you're a gatekeeper. You need to look at your position and you realize that you are choosing how to allocate resources. And if you're not looking at it like that, you need to be. You need mm-hmm. to recognize that you need to make conscious choices about your default. Who's your default that you're booking? Mm-hmm. And on a given night. Mm-hmm. And as far as sexism, you know, the Me Too movement and really putting folks on a conscious edge about consent. 
a conscious edge about their sexism. That puts them on the edge and not so much on me. Continuing that conversation, continuing to have that energy、mm. where you need to be careful about what you're saying because you have never been. And it's time for you to start thinking about that and for you to be on that conscious edge and not for me to be always on the edge of my defenses.、Mm-hmm. And I think what you all were talking about is that's the only thing that can change who's carrying the emotional burden. Mm. You know, you're walking into a space and you're talking about how am I going to preserve my humanity?、Mm-hmm. That's what you're talking, you know? Yeah. How am I going to preserve my humanity? Having to carry that all the time, it's like, okay, how about you take this, you know?、Mm-hmm. How about you folks take this and you feel uncomfortable and you do some of that emotional burden work and you feel it and the backlash and the, all the stuff that comes with it and the fighting and the tooth and nail and the crying and the. The screaming and the tantrums that happen as a result of feeling uncomfortable. It's like, you can feel that. How about you take on some of this emotional burden so that I can walk around and feel like you can be on edge for a little bit?、Mm-hmm. However, sometime maybe no one has to be on edge.、Mm-hmm. Maybe that will ease, but for a while and for now, that's what there is. That's what the conversations have been doing. That's where that shift, I think, has been pushing it. Like, put this on your plate. Mm-hmm. Let's put this over here where it belongs on your plate because we've been just completely taking that on for a long time. And it's whether it's sexism, racism, you know,、mm-hmm. that's how I see it. I think that one of the points is though that it's going to take a long time. A long time. <laughs> you remember? Oh my God, you, you might not remember this. I used to work in corporate diversity, and that's what the executives would say all the time.、Mm. Well, we're doing this and we're doing that, but it's gonna take time. Uh huh. Yeah. Now I, feel, now I feel like we just turned the tables there. You're gonna feel uncomfortable for a little while. It's gonna take time. Yeah. <laughs> and dig keep, in. <laughs> and so it's like, how do we keep it there? How do you keep the conversation there? Because it's, it's always that pushback of like, no, let's shift this back off my plate. You know,、mm-hmm. I'm, I'm entitled to feel comfort. Right. Are, are we done with this already? Yeah. Can, didn't we do this already? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.、Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh wait. That what, these things we're talking about—they're in the past. You know, it's like no, mother, no. So, yeah, navigating those issues, recognizing the change that is occurring,、mm-hmm. but also there's a lot more to do, and that's how I see my participation. What is so interesting to me now, where I am, like I'm starting to have artists seek me out for who I am. Hmm. You know, as a queer person of color, as somebody who was doing that in my field,、mm-hmm. where the conversation can be so toxic, all of the things that provided a challenge to me before, which was, let's look at who I am, and oh, because of these things, we're going to assume you're not enough of、uh, skill. You're not. You don't have this. You don't have that. We're going to doubt you. And now, as a result of these changes. I am being sought out and recognized more because of who I am,、mm. and that is so precious and valuable to me. That is what I want to see more of, and I feel I would love for everyone to be able to feel that way. Exactly who you are, you can provide something in whatever you're doing that is so special and needed for so many people.、Mm. I love that we're shifting the language to people of the global majority. Because when you feel like that minority, there's that mindset of like, 
well, if I'm in this minority, maybe then, you know, there's such a slim chance for me to succeed or there's such a slim chance for me to connect with the folks that really need me. But like shifting that language to people of the global majority, which has been a thing that has been talked about a lot. True. It's like (laughs) you start to think there are so many people out there who are looking for somebody who's doing what I'm doing and who can hold space in a different way. Mm. And what I have and who I am is valuable and is a valuable contribution just because of who I am. That feels amazing, you know? I want to see more of that. And I'm grateful to the people who choose to work with me and I hope that I hold that space well for them. What a delightful, sensual journey that was with CJ into community through the arts. And here I just want to say that the music in this episode was all of CJ's. And in fact, much of the music you hear in season one on the various episodes have been CJ's. So we really want to encourage you to support their music. And you can do that by going to the website for Camellia Jade and the link will be in the show notes. So next up, we continue our journey through the arts with a conversation with Ave Avellino. I hope you will be able to join us for that. appreciate you for listening to this episode of Talking Story. Music is provided with permission by Ben Wilson and Camilla J. Talking Story is a project of well-organized and has enjoyed the support of the Port Townsend Arts Commission, Jefferson Community Foundation, Finn River Farm and Cidery, and the Community Equity Initiative, as well as private, in-kind, and monetary donations. If you'd like to support us, please go to well-organized.org to make a donation to the Talking Story podcast. That's well-organized.org. Thank you. El desarrollo crece.